Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. Uh, we're going to continue our journey, we'll call it, towards uh, creating a sword and sorcery RPG, basically hacking the chainmail system. Uh, it, but in a related subject, I've got uh, what we're going to call a recap, I guess, of I've been running or playing, I should say, in a OD&D with chainmail, which was my previous hack, which I'm still fleshing out. <laughs> to actually put into a nicer format, but um, we're, we've really been playtesting it. We've played, I think, five episodes into a campaign. Um, it, it's not, you know, actual plays. So what I decided to do was give a recap of where we're at. So I guess the first, the next like 20 minutes or so is that. I will um, cover basically from start to finish how we went through it and how we're building up our band. But I think it's very relevant because one thing that we're doing, which works really excellent in, in these systems is we're building up a, like a war band to help us accomplish our goals, you know, with horses and recruiting people and stuff. So it actually does tie into this uh, chainmail sword and sorcery hack as well. After that, we will have some call-ins. Okay, I'm going to try something a little different here. I, um, I've been enjoying various uh, session recaps on other podcasts, so I thought I would do something similar. This is a game that I am a player in, and it's relevant because we are playing OD&D with Chainmail. So, uh, I mean, we're on like the fourth session, so I'm going to kind of do a quick uh, recap of the entire campaign to this point. Uh, hopefully, I can do it quickly enough. So, uh, our DM, Nikki, is, is running basically a little mini hex crawl that came from Knock Magazine. And she gave us the overview of the land, that there's kind of like a, a duke or a count, or I can't remember what his title was, but um, he's fallen ill, and we know that well rumors are that the the basically the area is being run by kind of like a vizier um and he's got some pretty corrupt like men under him that are kind of uh treating the people badly so kind of the the politics of the, of the place is pretty messed up um before we started so we got that information before we started and then in well, i won't call it session zero because it was the five minutes first five minutes of the game the uh, one of the players suggested hey why don't we you know not play evil characters or bad characters, but maybe more like neutral. And we were coming into this place to kind of get up, you know, up and close with this, this vizier and basically eventually unseat him and take over, you know, the, the power because, uh, you know, if this duke or whatever is, is going to just uh, sit back and let somebody else run the place, why not let it be us? So we went into this place with that idea. We we're fourth level, so that seemed reasonable. Um, so, okay, so that with that in mind, we are just four, or three, I'm sorry, three of us is an elf, a dwarf, so both of them are fighting men. Um, and uh, myself, I play a cleric, and we are heading into this area. We, we encounter a ghost, I think it's the first thing we encountered. Uh, you know, actually we encountered this like beautiful uh, horn hanging on a, basically a grave. So I picked it up and I blew it, and this, this ghost came forward who kind of told us a little bit of a story what was going on, and basically said that to, that that he would love for this, this was his hunting horn and that it would be uh, good to return it to his true love or something like that. So, so this sent us on a destination. We, we had a map, so we kind of knew where the towns were. We started heading towards the town. We encountered actually one of these patrols of uh, guards slash bandits who uh, we just kind of faced down, like the fighter just kind of got in the middle of the road and acted tough, the dwarven fighter that is. Um, and they kind of moved on, <laughs> if you will. Let's see, we went to the town, we delivered the horn, which gave us favor in the town. We got a little more information about the area, including a rumor that there was a wizard uh, that was uh, standing on top of like a, like, a, like a really tall stone, which was trying to cast some kind of spell or something. 
Um, and through that conversation, we found out that the captain of the guard uh, was uh, meant to meant to slay him. And and I don't know exactly how we did it, but we kind of we kind of convinced the guy that we were supposed to bring the thing that he was supposed to give to the captain of the guard to the captain of the guard. So he he turned over a uh, a magical sword to us. So we were like, oh sweet. So we went up and oh, and we encountered orcs. So we encountered 20 orcs, <laughs> the three of us killed 10 of them in, I think maybe two rounds, they failed morale. Um, and we got initiative. So I moved up on them and I was like, uh, surrender and serve us or we'll slay you. And I guess some rolls, reaction rolls, whatever were made. And now we had 10 orcs working for us. <laughs> so we stashed those Then we said, hide in the woods because clearly we can't walk around with the orcs. Um, and we went off to uh, to investigate this wizard, who we found out basically was trying to get his magic wand to work. Apparent to magic wand to work. Apparently, he uh, was the, the the magic word to activate the wand was stolen from him by this wolf that steals words. So we were like, uh, okay. Um, he did offer to identify the sword because we told him about the sword. We told him the whole thing. We figured come clean with the wizard. He'd be a good ally. Um, and uh, he offered to to identify the sword if we could get back the magic word for him. So then we, we headed down towards where he lost the word. He, uh, I don't know, I'm skipping a lot of details here, but um, essentially we were heading in that direction where we encountered the captain. So at this point, we kind of BS the captain. And somehow convinced him that this rusty orc sword that we had taken um, was the magic sword. And we did the like the 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 king's new clothes thing with him because he's like that looks like a rusted sword. And we were like, you can't see the true magics of this sword or whatever. And we, we convinced him that that was a magic sword. Uh, then he was planning on attacking the wizard, so we like circled back, got our orcs, uh, got ourselves in like an ambush position, so that when he went to where the wizard was. Uh, I dropped a whole person spell on some of his men. I think he had like 12 or 15 men. They were on horses, which is dangerous. So, uh, yeah, I think it was 12 or 15 of them. I dropped a whole person on four of them. Um, the wizard, uh, no, we hadn't got the orchestra. We didn't have time. We wanted to, we hadn't. So it was only three of us. So we decided to ambush. So basically what happened was we set ourselves, we like snuck up quickly along the woods. Though the captain was yelling up at the guys very confident that he could destroy the wizard with the sword that he had. Um, I threw a whole person on some of the, the captain's men. The wizard dropped what was apparently a sleep spell and dropped most of them. And then basically the two heroes in the group, <laughs> essentially heroes, right? They essentially used bows and crossbows and, and mostly took the captain out um, before he could even climb up to fight the wizard. Um, and basically, I can't remember if the wizard finished him off or if the heroes did the second round. So it was like two rounds of combat. We had dropped the 15 men on the horses or whatever it was, plus the captain. We, we, we ruthlessly killed them, um, took their horses, took their armor. We let one guy who got put to sleep and who never saw us basically um, go, be, like, go free. We basically just like put him on his horse and slapped the horse and set him off. Uh, the wizard, of course, uh, saw that we helped and was like, okay, I won't speak of you if anybody comes and investigates. Um, we then went back to the orcs and gave them the extra horses that we had, equipped ourselves with horses, uh, these were uh, medium war horses with barding. We like knocked off any symbols and uh, icons of the of the king, so it wouldn't look like they were stolen horses <laughs> as best as possible. We even um, gave the captain's armor to to our head orc 
So now these orcs, although we're arming them, making them quite dangerous, they're very, very good, become very, very loyal to us. So we left them there, and then we went back out and to seek this wolf, which ended up being some kind of a demon, uh, which was pretty cool because we had about five or six regular wolves with it. So while I fought the regular wolves as a cleric on uh, troop combat, so far we, uh, the on in fantasy combat, um, the two fighters fought this this creature, which was a very difficult creature to kill. Whew. Okay, they were like three sessions deep at this point. <laughs> um, so we got all that together. We got the we got regular wolf pelts that we were planning on selling. We killed the demon wolf. We got the word. We went back to the wizard, made friends with him. He identified the sword as a sword that has wishes on it. So that's pretty cool. Um, then we went back to town or the area of town and we saw, we got some more rumors and basically we found out that there was a bunch of, oh, I know what it was. We went back and got the orcs because we were like, we need to get a bigger army together if we're going to take these people out. Cause we learned that this demon wolf was like, uh, working with the vizier throughout this, everybody we've been, we've been, uh, role-playing with has basically told us that the people running this place are, are basically evil. So our plan to take over was actually kind of a good plan, even though we weren't particularly coming in as a good people. So we basically got the orcs. We got some rumors that the, those like uh, the supposed patrols are supposed to be helping everybody. We're not stopping these goblins who were um, raiding the village. So we had to decide. Part of us wanted to go fight these, this other group of orcs and try to take them under our power but, so we'd have more men. But then this goblin thing seemed to be more immediate. So we, we went down there with our – I think at that point we had 10 or 12 orcs with um, – with, with 10 of them on horses, plus us on horses. And we had like next to no money because we hadn't been, you know, traded the wolf pelts yet, but we had whatever the weapons that the orcs had. So we drove into this group of 50, 40 or 50 goblins uh, using the, the troop combat system. And I think it was like four rounds of combat. We basically killed all the goblins. We wiped them out. We did lose four orcs, unfortunately, um, but no horses because the, the, the horses that they were on uh, didn't, didn't die. So we still had our 10 horses, but we were down to eight orcs. We had the pelts, the goblins had like no money, so that was worthless. Um, and we went back to, now we went to town with a bunch of goblin heads, like tied them together and like brought them into town to show like, hey, we took care of this problem. At that point, we ran into uh, one of the, like basically an underling of the uh, the captain, like a lieutenant basically. Of course, who doesn't know yet, because it's only been like a day that the captain's dead because he's been doing his thing or whatever. Or at the very least, doesn't know we did it. And um, we kind of do like a, hey, we had to take care of your business because you're not doing your job kind of thing, showdown with him. Uh, at which point he basically, there was a little bit of standoff and he pulled us to the side and he was like, uh, well, listen, if you're really that mighty, well, you can join us. And, uh, but to prove that you have to kill these monks, they've got this magic statue, go get the magic statue for us, for me by midnight tomorrow or... Um, you know, they're very evil, blah, blah. You know, he gave us a reason to do it, saying that they were evil. So we're like, yeah, okay. So we got on our horses. We kind of hid the orcs, of course, before we did that. We didn't want people to know we're working with orcs. And we went down to the monastery. When we got there, the monks seemed pretty cool. They did have a statue. Apparently, it uh, at one point, we used to cry. Um, the tears that were magical, basically, and it had stopped crying, like, a few months back. So my cleric being like, well, I mean, if it really was... Uh, if it really is a good statue, it may have been, uh, you know, not crying because of the, of the evil in the land. So I, you know, I said to, to the dungeon master, I said, I want to, uh, even though it doesn't work like this, technically, I want to cast protection from evil on the statue to see if it will like somehow react to it. And, uh, you know, 
rulings over rules, DM fiat, meta currency, whatever everyone wants to call it, the DM said, yeah, that'll work. So I cast protection from evil over the statue and it began to weep again. So me thinking, well, I cast protection from evil and it started weeping again. That means the statue could not be evil. So that was kind of my uh, assessment. While the monks collected the tears of the statue, we had a discussion and we said, well, of course, we're not going to try to kill these monks. That seems ridiculous. So we made a plan. Essentially, the plan was we were going to take some of the monk's robes. Okay, so that's basically where we ended it. Now, this, well, 11 minutes in, I've done like half most of the campaign. So now we're on like session five. We started off by tell, talking to the monk. We talked first amongst ourselves. We asked the monk for a couple of robes, uh, chicken, and some kind of like holy symbol or whatever. That's, you know, so it seems like we would have killed one of the monks. So basically, we, we tear up the robes. We put ch- chicken blood all over it. We, uh, we take the holy symbol. And the plan is we're going to stage an ambush. We bring our orcs who, by the way, we had now equipped them with uh, spears. And uh, one of the fighters got a lance. And I got a flail. So basically, we upgraded our, our weapons when we were in town. I should say that when we went in there the first time. So we staged an ambush with the orcs. The plan was to go talk to this guy, tell him, listen, they're more powerful than you think, but they have way more treasure than you think, and we can get in there and do this. So he insisted on taking 12 men with him, which was fine. Uh, my character stayed back with the orcs and because I, I wanted to cast bless, bless upon them. So... When we saw that the, the bad guys were coming, essentially, I cast the bless spell because I know D and D anybody around can be cast. It's not like a limit. Is everybody around you, and that gives them an extra dice, an extra die of damage. So the uh, the fighters, uh, the dwarf and the elf fighter, led the, the the bad guys, if you will, twelve of twelve horsemen plus the leader, into this like ravine where my orcs came from <laughs> charging down. So now most of these fighters were on foot. All of them were on foot. So they were just footmen, even though they were in, they were armored foot because they had a plate on. We basically, <laughs> we came down with my horses. Between having medium horses against armored foot, plus the added die that they got from Bless, uh, with, my, uh, with my eight orcs, I was rolling 24 D6. And any six basically was a kill on one of these guys. So essentially, I took out 10 of the 12 of them in the first round. Uh, while I did that, the two fighters turned around and started battling this guy who turns out he was tough. He was a champion, which is like a seventh level fighter. Um, but he did not need to be hit simultaneously seven times because of the way that she was running it, just seven times in total. So the two fighters were fighting him. Um, he tried to take off because they did a decent amount of damage the first round. And then uh, we basically chased him down. The orcs finished off the uh, the last two guys. I think that was a total of two rounds, maybe yeah, about two rounds of combat. We the, so again, this is the, one of the, the strengths of this system, and I'm kind of why I'm doing it to talk about this, is we basically played out an ambush with eight orc horsemen plus my character. So nine orc horsemen plus two of our characters in that group against a leader plus 12 henchmen, and it was two rounds of combat, maybe three, and each of those rounds of combat was two minutes at the most. So... The system is really working out. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but because clearly Chamberlain existed, I'm just combining it. Uh, it really, really does work for a different scope of game. It really creates a different type of thing. So yeah, so anyways, we killed this guy. Turns out that he had like an evil soul or whatever. We noticed that. We decided, because the orcs had asked before, I forgot about that. The orcs had wanted to eat one of the, one of, one of the horses uh, as like uh, like a celebration for basically their, their earlier victory. And I didn't let them because, of course, I realized that 
in OD&D, a horse is like a tank. I mean, you don't want to lose that horse. So I told them though, that if we, if we destroyed this guy, they could, they could feast on a horse. So we stripped that guy off of his horse, the, the bad guy, and we allowed the orcs to feast on it and they could have all the loot from the, 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 the people that we raided basically. I mean, we, we searched them first to make sure they didn't have anything significant. The leader had 300 gold pieces, which we, um, took most of, we left some on him. We left his armor on him, but we gave them his horse, which they ate. And we also, uh, you know, allowed them to keep any of the, the soldiers stuff. So that was like their payment. They were happy about that. You got to treat your orcs well. It's basically the thing there. And right around that time we were like, okay, well he had, uh, the leader had basically had other, or was calling one other soldiers to come and surround the, uh, monastery. So we have his dead body and we're going to go try to like confront those other soldiers and say that, uh, that they were set upon by orcs and try to get them to also come out and ambush them. I think that's our plan anyway. So, so currently we basically have come into this place and we've established, and it's funny cause it kind of connects to this chainmail thing. We've established ourselves with, with a group of men and, and we've gotten better weapons and we're basically stepping ourselves up to become uh, a much stronger force. And the next thing we're going to do is take these guys out that are surrounding the monastery. And then we're going to head south because it's, it's south from where we are down to where the, uh, the other, the, the larger orc community is and try to try to go in there and become their leaders. So at this point, we're basically using the orcs as our army um, because all of the, essentially all the human soldiers are, are corrupted by this, this vizier. So we're essentially taking the, the outcast orcs that were, you know, probably when this module was written, we're probably meant to be bad guys, but you know, we're using them as our army to, uh, to hopefully uh, destroy this evil demon that's kind of uh, raging in the land. And, and in the end, still our idea of, again, no long backstory, just a, <laughs> a five minutes before we start playing, our idea of coming into this place and trying to seize power on some level is, is working out perfectly. So we're pretty excited. Uh, I'll try to do, they'll probably be super short after this, but I'll try to do some more of these if people are interested. Let me know what you think, or if some of that was unclear and you want to know more about the mechanics of it. Um, it was spread out over the course of like the last four or five weeks. So that's why I'm not remembering every detail, but um, like some point along the line, I also get a magic ring. Uh, and my, by the way, my character is a cleric uh, who has a five charisma. And the way that I'm playing up five charisma is that he basically has what I call no filter. So he'll just say things, you know, out loud, like that he probably shouldn't say like an appropriate thing. Not, I mean, I don't mean inappropriate, like, like dirty or swears or whatever, but you know, he'll just say like, Oh, there's a thing, right? You know, like the kind of, he doesn't like, he's not good in public kind of thing. So he's kind of fun to play. That plays into Jason's thing about playing up flaws. Um, but we also know because the group knows, the three of us know that my character is not the person to send in to have a conversation when we're trying to trick somebody or whatever. So whenever possible, we send the person who is good at that. So again, you don't have to ruin the group and not be part of the, the group to have it play a character with the low stat. You can just use it in ways that Sometimes affects the group, but sometimes doesn't, you know, and I mean, because I'm not stupid. I mean, he's got a, a decent intelligence. I think every one of his scores is, he actually has got a, he's got a decently high wisdom and dexterity and his, um, his charisma is super low with a five, but then everything else is like average. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's like a regular guy. He, he knows, like, I believe that most people, uh, if you have a decent wisdom and you have a bad charisma, you know that you have a bad charisma. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's just how I, I, that's how I play it anyways, but I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, do you want to see more session recaps? Uh, is this at all interesting to people? Let me know. Oh, a couple, a couple of quick things that, that just in case it was unclear. 
uh, or that I missed is that number one is that when I said with the blessed spell, it gave them an extra die of damage. I kind of corrected myself after, but I didn't actually. Uh, it actually just gives them an extra die. And when you're rolling on troop combat, right, you'll roll a certain number of dice. They just roll an extra one. So extra one per person that's blessed, which means that all the orcs plus me got that. The other thing, too, is at one point I talked about upgrading the weapons. And the reason for that is the orcs all had rusted swords and stuff, which is fine. Rusted is more just for fun. Um, a sword fighting on horseback is going to be a light footman, a light horseman, I should say. But a spear on horseback is medium. So when we went into town, spears are pretty cheap. In OD&D, we went and bought a bunch of spears so that the, the orcs could have the spears to work with. So you, you thinking about what weapons you're using and uh, that kind of stuff is really important in the system. Uh, and I think that's really cool because you don't end up with a system where uh, they're going to want to always just use the same weapon. Like on horseback, they're definitely going to want to use the spears. But a spear uh, uh, to a footman, I believe, is is still the same as a sword. So it really depends on what they're doing. They might use the spears on the horse and swords on foot, especially if they're in a space where the sword, the sword makes more of a, uh, you know, more sense, right? Like in a huge, like in a melee, we are all like grouped together and there's not a lot of room to move. So I do like that, that effect. Um, and also, yeah, the, the one fighter, the Dwarven fighter got a, uh, a lance cause that gives him heavy foot. The other thing I didn't mention that I think was really cool and worked out well with the system was that when they fought the demon wolf, the very first round, both, both of the fighters on our side rolled critical failures. So double ones, which means that the mundane weapon, the, the dwarf was using a two-hander sword and the magical weapon are affected slightly differently. The elf had the magic sword. Basically what happens is the mundane weapon, the two-handed sword was shattered, the, the magical weapon she dropped, right? So she had to spend her movement going to get the sword, uh, which wasn't a big deal, except that it would open her up to not having the sword. Um, however, uh, the two-handed sword was broken, right? So if it was like troop combat, you had a broken sword, it would downgrade your fighting. But because we were doing on the fantasy combat table, it didn't. And that's one of the coolest things. You know, because I, I said, because, you know, the other people are learning the system still. And I was like, oh, man, your sword's broken. I'm like, well, you know, you could use anything as a, as a weapon in fantasy. You could use your fist. You could use, uh, you know, a dagger if you had one. You could use a rock. And then he was like, well, can I just use the shattered sword? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so there was like this, you know, this awesome battle between this demon wolf and this dwarf, like facing off with a dwarf using like a broken two-handed sword. And that's pretty awesome. So I was pretty, uh, pretty pumped. Because the thing is, you know, D&D is a game, right? So like, if I if, if you were playing this game and sh the shattered two-handed sword did like give you a penalty or this and that, you would just drop it and use a different weapon because why would you ever fight with the penalty even though it's awesome? Most people aren't going to do that. They want to they want to you know succeed, right? So they're going to be like, oh, well, I just drop it and pick up my mace or whatever. But because with fantasy combat that doesn't matter, you can really play into that and you get those like cinematic scenes like you might get in the movies. So, anyways, that is the recap. Please, if you guys have any questions about that. <laughs> That, that summary I will I'll try to do now because we play like every other week every I'll try to do really quick five minute ones after each one so you guys can see where this is leading um, in any case uh, we got some calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast Joe from Hindsightless and John who's a freaking caller thanks guys we will take your calls now and then I will come back to close the show well your magic system has managed to explain why Megamine in Kanasuba only has one really powerful spell you should check out Blood and Bronze. It has a very interesting magical system that has a lot of power but doesn't make wizards overpowered. 
Her system also explains why Megamine falls unconscious every time she casts her one spell. Ah, yes, Blood and Bronze. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe I forgot that game. I've got it sitting on my shelf somewhere. I'll, I'll dig it out again. I, that's something I really need to try to play. I like how they kind of mix... I don't know if they truly mix the systems, but they it somehow manages to feel like kind of a both an old feeling game, like old school feeling for lack of a better word, and a modern game. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's the use of the D twenty and some of the things, but oh I really like that that uh that game in theory. Although it is weird because I bought all the all the ones that at the time were published modules and I think like two of the three of them had you start off uh as a slave. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess you can't run them both, right? Well maybe you could. I mean who knows? But yeah, Blood and Bronze, very, very cool system. Your ideas for your game are very interesting. They're actually quite suited to a board game or to a hybrid game that uses board game elements as well as role-playing elements. You know, I'm not a huge, like, board gamer. Uh, I've seen some of these, like, really awesome board games being played, but uh, it's not something that I've really fully uh, got into. But I could see this right being kind of like a structure for a board game for sure. Uh, so yeah, it could definitely work out that way, especially during, you know, the combat phases, right? I could see you like moving uh, pieces around in a board and then uh, interacting uh, with the role play like off board, I guess. I don't know if board games have role play elements, but I don't know. People who know more about board games, let me know. I did get that one Conan uh, Tower of the Elephant board game that, uh, that Jason had done an unboxing on, and that was pretty cool. That had like a little kind of strategy thing and you were moving around a little story. So yeah, I could see that. Hey, Daniel, Jason here, the Bandits Brigade. So I stopped about 17 minutes into your latest podcast about backstories that you put together for Joe. And um, yeah, I think backstories are, are worthwhile thing to do, especially as the bullet points like you talk about, you know, have a couple, have a few bullet points. That's good. I think the charts for people are not a bad idea. I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be there, especially not when you're doing your initial playtest documents, all that. But I think in the final version that you put out there for people, having charts in the back of it wouldn't be a bad thing. As far as the task resolution system, I much prefer charts to just rolling D6. Well, I mean, obviously you're rolling D6 no matter what, right? But regardless, I think I'd rather use the charts. I, I think having that visual of the difficulty level and, and success levels and all is better than just the DM saying, oh, you have a two and six chance. Oh, you have four and six chance. So I don't know. I mean, I realize that's probably mental more than anything. And in the long run, it's probably not a big difference. But I, I kind of like having the ideal of the charts and the follow through between the the combat and the non-combat. I mean, I guess that is a universal mechanic, and I know you're not a big fan of that, but I don't know. Just my gut feeling. More people would probably like the D6 part. I'm probably the outlier, but, you know, got to tell you what I think. Anyhow, let me listen to the rest of your show. Yeah. Yeah, I think the backstory, right, the, the backstory or the background is definitely uh, – release the skills right that that's really what we wanted here but you know what's funny is that this morning i sat down and messed around so i, I basically made the chart which is essentially three charts um just real simple and i actually really like it part of me um 
would have said if somebody had asked me that question, no, nah, I just like the D6 thing, let the DM kind of just give you a, a number, because that's what I do in most games. But this game definitely has a different feel, and, and almost like what John was talking about, it almost has a little bit of a board gamey feel. And I feel like in a board game, right, they'd be some kind of a chart, <laughs> you know? So, and actually, if you were writing adventures for this, you could, you could even say this is a, you know, common task uh, or a difficult task or whatever. And then the, the GM would even have advice there as far as, to, as far as how to run the module, if you will, if you were writing modules for it. So I actually think that, um, yeah, the little chart is, is probably going to be my solution there. I, I think you might be right, though, that many people, me included, <laughs> would probably have uh, immediately been like, no, just a simple D6. Keep it real simple OSR. You know, that that's, seems to be the mantra lately that the games are getting stripped down more and more and more. And I feel like this one's going to have a, I don't know if I want to call it crunch because uh, it depends on how you define crunch, but it's definitely going to have more like reference to charts and stuff like that than let's say your average uh, uh, pack, we'll say. Yeah, Joe. So that's Joe from Hindsightless. Uh, you're you're making a very, very good point. Um, I think that you are right. I mean, I don't, we won't know until we play it, but I also think that if this is going to be a game for a certain type of group, certain type of players. And not to say better players, worse players, but just different players. Players that are maybe uh, more open to uh, not living in their their primary character's skin all the time. So it might be a change. I, I just think that a lot of retro clones and games that are coming out that are role-playing games generally have that same D&D-like structure where, you know, everybody plays their hero and they're at a party and they all have their roles and this and that. Um, whereas this is going to be a completely different thing. <laughs> you know, so... I, which is weird because I, I see it almost as like an evolution that could have happened if D&D went slightly different in their approach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting. I don't think it's going to be for everyone and maybe it won't be the main game for most people. I could see this being like more of a pickup game or something that you run a little bit. Even this could even be run play by post possibly because of the type of structure it's going to have. Uh, it's definitely going to be more structured than I typically <laughs> like to play. Like, I don't think, I mean, unless you have a really good skill at memorizing charts and stuff, I don't think you could play this game without the book. Whereas, like, I could sit down and play BX with no book in front of me, you know, because the, the, the rules in that game are so loose. So, yeah, uh, we'll see, right? Given my druthers, I would probably just rele relegate the seer and the ninja to just being secondary characters, kind of like the henchmen are. And they're more interesting to play than the henchmen. So maybe you just play the seer that game when you're the third or fourth wheel and the same thing with the ninja, but they, they don't, they wouldn't actually advance. They'd be more like hirelings and henchmen. That way you're just concentrating heroes. You, you mentioned about the difficulties of playing three or four heroes in a party, but you know, that's what you do in Barbarians Lemuria and it works fine. Uh, Barbarians Lemuria lets you have magic using players, but you don't have to use magic. Uh, I mean, I've had three and four players in parties that, it just all been fighters, no magic users, and it, and it works just fine. Um, so, so I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I, I realize with your progression system, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it would depend, you know, what they're doing to advance their particular character. At which point now we look back towards the amazing pinnacles that, uh, I'm saying that for Arlen Walker's benefit, the, the amazing games that Burning Wheel and Riddle of Steel are, and you look at games where your advancement is based on your character's goals. So you figure out what your character's goals are. And if it is to build up... Now, your goals, 
that you're trying to attain to level up and your reputation, what other people know, and you're leveling up that way might actually be slightly different things. And that could be interesting too. But yeah, I'm trying to do this without yawning too much. Sorry. But yeah, I I think you could play with multiple heroes. I don't think that would be a problem. Um, and I think allowing spell casting in the first place muddies the waters because then you get people in there that don't understand the genre and try to turn it into something that it's not meant to be. Yeah, I think logistically you're right. I don't think that, that it would be impossible to have four heroes at a party and they all have their own goals and how they accomplish them are just slightly different. Maybe one character wants to be wants to join the castle guard so they can gain men and influence that way. Another one wants to, you know, uh, recruit raiders for their own uh, purposes. Another one might want to like join or start a thieves guild. So that that's all ways to accumulate, you know, uh, power and, 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 you know, fighting men and uh, horses and stuff like that, which is going to be kind of your main uh, thing you're going to be doing. And that's all fine. I just, what I'm trying to avoid is the, this is just another version of D and D. You know, trope, if you will. I mean, I could play OD&D with Chainmail as it stands and just allow only fighters, right? And it would, I could be sword and sorcery in that sense, but it's still a different game. This game, I really want to be structured differently. And I don't want necessarily, I mean, again, I want, it's like whatever people want to do with the game, they can do. But I want to heavily lean people in the direction of these individual heroes. Um, And I think too, this actually goes back to something that, that, kind of a response to Joe in a sense, but ties in a little bit, is that for all intents and purposes, you could look at something like what they call West Marches, right, for this this, uh, this style of campaign, where your heroes get their goals, and then you're going to recruit other players to help you, right? So you might say like, oh, uh, man, my hero wants to to break into the Tower of the Elephant, and I need you know some, some help to climb up there or whatever, and I know that uh, Joe's hero is a skilled skilled thief, so I'm going to recruit them and we're going to break in together. Or it could be, oh man, I'm, I'm going to do this raid on this caravan and I need like 20 men. And then you reach out to, not to Joe's character, but to Joe himself and say, hey Joe, uh, you know, would you be willing to run 20 henchmen for me if I can recruit them to raid this caravan? So like it's a buy-in, right? I don't, I don't think it would be the, the DM at any point going, this is your week. It would be more like who wants to do something and then kind of working it out. And hopefully, hopefully people would be able to work it out like that. Uh, I, again, I, I, this is all theoretical because I haven't really run it. Um, and it's going to take time to know how well it actually works. But I, I think you're right, though, uh, as far as the, uh, to go back to your other question, uh, the thought, is that I, don't, I definitely don't want the seer or the, the, the ninja type character to be able to progress. Uh, I mean, uh, bouncing things around in my head, it seemed like, well, you could add progression, but I just think it's not worth it. You know, I think in the end, if you allow them to progress through the game as heroes or main characters, then you are going to set yourself up for the classic D&D party with three character, three different character types, or the, I just want to play a seer as my hero, and then it changes the scope of the campaign and becomes way less of the sword and sorcery genre that I want to do. Again, that's why I think I'll make it a, an optional thing, kind of you know after the main playtest is is kind of already rolling. But I think the seer and the uh, assassin or ninja or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, I'm going to make up some kind of name that's similar to the oh man whatever one Joe called him with that sounded awesome. But anyways, uh, you know, and just make that uh, right. They're like an NPC class. So 
you know, you call Joe and say, Hey Joe, I want to, uh, you know, do this adventure. And he's like, Oh man, I don't want to run your henchman again. That's so boring. You can be like, all right, well, let's see if, uh, if the GM will be okay with, with me recruiting a seer for this one. And then Joe might be like, yeah, seer. And then now you guys are playing. So, you know, I think that might be the, uh, the thing. I just wouldn't want that seer to become the regular character of any one particular player, if that makes sense. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, thanks to all my callers. If you guys have any other questions or thoughts about this chainmail hack, we'll call it, or sword and sorcery hack, I'm getting a name for this soon. Uh, let me know. And uh, I've got another episode coming up uh, with some call-ins about the backstories episode that I did, the backstories for this game. And uh, soon I will have kind of a rough draft for the playtest, so uh, we can uh, we can get some players together and see where this thing goes. Thanks.